Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Coming up on today's show, we will have the first installment of Dr. Schertz's extensive discussion on cutting the cord. And in Profiles in IT... We'll tell you about Margaret Heathfield Hamilton. She is the woman who led the team that developed the onboard flight software for the Apollo Space Program and Skylab. She also developed the term software engineering. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Yes, we have an email from Mary Lane. Hello. <laughs> a very formal kind of. Hello. Uh, hello, yes. Hello. It's a very, oh, this is why it's so thick. I've got two copies of the show here. Well, maybe we could just stay for two hours today. Exactly. We could just do it twice. How many, uh, how I'm many a novice. Print out, print out. I'm a novice with cell phones. I've just, I've got a Peugeot go, go plan and an old flip phone. My parents in their 80s recently bought a 2018 Accord EX. The salesman recommended that they get their cell phone linked up to the car so that if they get an accident, it will automatically call 911 through Honda Link. They, too, have a flip phone <laughs> and a pay-as-you-go plan. And I told them I'd look into this. Uh, you know, Now, if the carrier will let us have a friends and family plan, maybe we could put something together. But I thought I would call and ask about your advice. My parents live in Fredericksburg. And what are our economic issues as far as this is concerned? Thanks and advice. I enjoy your radio show uh, when I remember to tune it in. <laughs> Mary, 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 set the alarm, please. Set the alarm. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Honda Link. Now, Honda Link is an application that you download and install on your smartphone. Now, it's available for both iPhones as well as Android phones. <clears throat> so your phone has to support the application, and most phones do. But when I go to the Honda Link website, it says not all phones do. Huh. And I couldn't find a list of which ones don't, but I'm thinking most Android and iPhones will support it. Now, the application, it supports navigation, music streaming, and emergency services. Now, the nice thing is it supports CarPlay and Android Auto, which means that <clears throat> native apps in the iPhone, like for navigation, or native apps in your Android phone, like navigation or streaming music and all, will actually be integrated right into the uh, car's multimedia system. And so it means you don't, what Honda says, you don't have to buy an expensive multimedia system because we're integrated with your, with your cell phone. Now, this is the deal. The emergency service option, it's a monthly subscription if you want that, you know, this automatic dial into somebody. It's a three-month trial. But then after that, you've got to pay a monthly fee to, to, to have that service. Now, most cars, I have to say, have a satellite link for this, like, like OnStar. If you crash, it dials in, and there's a satellite link in the car. So a lot of the uh, major car vendors have satellite links in the cars, and they have uh, this emergency service that you can subscribe to. But you don't have to have a cell phone. It just goes up through the satellite. Well, apparently, Honda is trying to cut out the cost of the satellite link, so they want to just make the call through your cell phone, and so hopefully you'd have adequate cell phone connection. Now, you know, it's um, you know, if you want to do this, I mean, it's going to be a lot of work for your parents if they're used to flip phones because you're going to have to attach the phone to the, um, you know, you're going to have to link it through Bluetooth. They'll have to have the phone on when they go in. I think you could get that all set up for them. And then you would have to subscribe to the service, so they'd have to set up an account with Honda Link, and they'd have to subscribe to the service, and then, then they would get it. But if you're going to go to all the trouble of setting all of that up, you might as well take advantage of the navigation 
and have them, you know, download, you know, get, download the navigation apps and they could stream music and they could actually, I think, use the phone for a lot of things other than just the emergency phone call. Now, it sounds like you're not big phone users, but I would say you could probably upgrade from the old flip phone uh, and and do quite well. So I would go, first of all, you want a prepaid service. You don't want to get one of these full-blown plans because they're pretty expensive. And all the carriers have prepaid services, You and you're not going to use a lot of data, I don't believe. Now, if you start doing navigation, you'll use a little bit of data. If you start streaming music over... You know, you know, start streaming music through Pandora. It doesn't sound like you're really a Pandora user either, but if you start using that, you use a little bit of data, but probably not not a lot of data. But you can get a prepaid plan with, with relatively low data caps, and it won't be that much money. Verizon, ATT, all the major carriers have it. Also, Walmart's got Smart Talk, and you can pick up and you can go with uh, with any carrier, and it's not it's not a bad uh, it's not a bad program. Then Google has Google Fi, which is which is a which is really a very good program. It's basically pay as you go, but you have to have one of the Google devices. You will have to buy the phone, but don't get one of the latest phones. Get uh, get an older phone. Get you don't you don't really need a lot of memory. So I think you know you could get a phone probably for easily less than a hundred dollars each, and then and then you'd get on the prepaid plan. But I'm just thinking your parent. This may, may even be too complicated for your parents to sort of manage. But mm-hmm. it's uh, it's it's an interesting um, it's an interesting thought, and I think it's worth it's worth pursuing. a try. It's worth a try, and they may really enjoy having their having their cell phone there because now once you're integrated to the Honda uh, Honda uh, Link, you can actually use Siri and you can use voice recognition. You could talk to your phone and give it commands, and so we could bring them into. The, you know, the 21st century well, with this. you know, a few years ago, you had the uh, the Tech Talk listener dinner. Yes. It was nice. We got yeah. a chance to meet some of our listeners. And it was <laughs> it was interesting to see how many older people were there who were plugged into technology. And they had their iPhones and they were talking about how to use them. And so it's it's possible for, for older folks to I, I really get think, in tune with this. I really think it is. And there, there are so many nice features. And the navigation feature is really fantastic mm-hmm. uh, for... Because it, you know it's crowdsourced. There's a crash. It'll automatically route you around the crash. So I, I think there's a, a lot to be said for it, other than just the automatic emergency service. Right. So we got an email from Tom Shum. When are quantum when quantum computers start mining Bitcoin? Bitcoin. What will happen to the value of Bitcoin? Tom Shum. Well, okay, that's an interesting uh, concept. You know, quantum computers would be very fast. They could actually uh, validate a block very quickly. And now what it is is the Bitcoin algorithm releases uh, Bitcoins at a certain rate. Ba- and, the, and, and so if you, um, if you start computing faster and faster and faster, it's not going to release the Bitcoins any faster than, than, than the programmed rate. And, and ultimately, only 21 million Bitcoins will be released. Right now, I think around 14 million Bitcoins have been released, and then they'll hit the cap. Now... What happens is that these miners who validate each block that's added, the first miner to validate it gets paid in Bitcoin. So you got you, you got to be you got to win the race. It's a horse race, and so it's the guys with the with the biggest machines who win the horse race. So what's going to happen? Somebody gets a um, quantum computer going. It's going to be pretty expensive to operate, but he'll win that horse race. But he wins his Bitcoin. He'll he'll get the same Bitcoin. And so it's not clear whether the cost of that machine is going to be is going to warrant the the cost of the bitcoin that he gets. But here is the bigger problem that you didn't allude to. Once we get quantum computing, the entire encryption methodology which is used on the internet will fail because you'll be able to crack any of the encryption codes with quantum computing. So it, rather than worrying about uh, the value of Bitcoin, you should worry about whether Bitcoin, in fact, will survive with quantum computing. Because the basic concept of secure transactions all encrypted, all of a sudden the encryption is broken. And, in fact, it will break even the core encryption on the Internet. And so now people are working at post-quantum encryption methods that, that will work. That's the real problem, and that, in fact, would threaten all the cryptocurrencies. We got an email from Hawk in Bowie, Maryland. Dear Doc and Jim, I have a problem with my cell phone. 
when somebody calls me, it goes immediately to voicemail. Hmm. And then they call again, and the call comes right through. It rings properly. I've got an iPhone 7. Is there something wrong with my, you know, my carrier? It's Verizon, or is, it, or is my phone broken? What's, what's going on? Enjoy the podcast, Hawk in Maryland. Well, Hawk, I would suspect that you have the Do Not Disturb feature turned on. Now, what the Do Not Disturb feature does, when a phone call comes in, you can configure it so that the call will go immediately to voicemail to not disturb you. And then you can further configure it that if the same person calls back within three minutes, it'll come right through. So it sounds to me like you've got the Do Not Disturb feature, throwing it to voicemail for the first call, and it goes through right on the second call. Now, this Do Not Disturb feature is really a nice... uh, you know, a nice item, and you can you can actually configure it by going to settings, then scroll down to do not disturb. Now you got a number of choices. You can actually uh, say do not, you know, these calls that go straight to voicemail. You can say send everyone to voicemail. You could send you could say send no one to voicemail first, or you could say send only my non-friends to voicemail and let my friends come right through. So you have three choices on that, and probably you're set up where you're just sending everybody to voicemail if you've got people that are on your contact list that are, that are going to voicemail. You can also do something like you can say automatically enable do not disturb when I'm driving. And so like, so if you hook it up to your car's Bluetooth and you start moving, it will automatically go to do not disturb. And then you can click another option that says while I'm in do not disturb in driving, Respond to all text messages and say, I'm driving now. I'll read your text message when I arrive at my destination. And that's automatically sent. So that's a nice feature. Now, if you want to check whether Do Not Disturb is on, you can look at the top edge of the phone. There'll be like, you'll see like a half moon. If you see the half moon, that means it's Do Not Disturb because usually people, it's quarter moon actually, usually people don't want to be disturbed at night. So to turn off Do Not Disturb, you just swipe from the bottom and bring up that screen, and in the middle there will be that quarter moon. You just touch it, and you can turn it on and off. And so I hope that fixes your problem, because that's a that's a common problem, by the way. I saw a lot of threads on the Internet where people were talking about that, and they're always hung up with this Do Not Disturb. We got an email from John in Kansas. Dear Tech Talk, I'd like to plug my laptop it in in while I'm traveling in my car. Hopefully, John, you're not driving. You, you've got somebody else driving. You like to plug in the laptop. What are my best options? The only power in the car are cigarette lighters and USB ports, and no place to plug in my show. Well, uh, John, your uh, your car runs on DC. That would be direct current, not District of Columbia. <laughs> DC. It runs on direct current, and your laptop charger needs AC or alternating current. So what do you do? You can convert DC to AC using what's called a power inverter. These are handy devices. Yes, and that allows standard electronics and appliances to run off your car battery. You can plug a convert inverter into your 12-volt cigarette lighter, and that's enough to charge the laptop or a few pieces of stereo equipment, about anything around 200 watts. Your cigarette lighter will only carry about 200 watts. If you do try to... Use more than 200 watts out of your cigarette lighter. You, you'll, you'll actually blow the fuse uh-huh. to, the, to the cigarette lighter, and then, then you'll have to change the fuse. That'll be a whole other problem. Now, to give you an idea of, of how much power things need, say a high-speed phone charger around 15 watts. That'd be a super high-speed phone charger. A laptop is 45 to 90 watts. So that's actually within the 200-watt limit. A game console is 150 watts. Television is... 80 to 400 watts. So I guess you you could get uh, you could get a small TV set and plug it in and be under 200 watts. If you want to have a mini fridge, <laughs> that's around 40 watts. Really? If, if you want to have a microwave, that would be 900 to 1500 watts. That kind of gives you a range. I don't, I, you know, I can't imagine you up, you know, putting in a mini fridge, a microwave, and a TV set well, in your car. Hey, why not give it a shot? That's right. Um, I yeah. ha- I actually have run power tools off of mine. Oh, nice. So you must you must have a pretty hefty one then. It's uh, it's okay. It was from the now defunct Radio Shack. I see. Well, okay. I'm going to give you four options here or three options here for your inverter. Here's a cigarette lighter inverter. The the Beestek B E S T E K 200 watt cup portable. It actually looks like a cup. It fits into your coffee cup. 
huh. area, and you plug it into the cigarette lighter, and on the top of it, it's got two regular plugs and two USB ports, and it's 200 watts. And you, and you, so that's very convenient. Like if, if you go to somebody else's car, you just you just put this inverter, you just put it in the in, in the coffee cup holder, and plug it into their cigarette lighter, and then. And then it's got a, also a cigarette lighter uh, uh, port at the top too, in case you still need a cigarette lighter port for something. And that and that only costs thirty bucks. That's not bad. That's not bad. That's probably the, you know you don't have to make any modifications. Now, if you want more wattage, okay, because you know, two hundred watts is not enough because well you want to run a, a TV. Okay, so there, here's a seven hundred and fifty watt unit by Potek, P-O-T-E-K. It's only forty six dollars. Now, it has two ways to plug it in. You could plug it into the cigarette lighter, and you have 150 watts. But there are also two, uh, there's also power cords that allow you to connect it directly to your battery and then run the power cord uh-huh. back. And if you hook it directly to the car battery, you can get 750 watts. Huh. And that's big enough, you know, to, to power up your TV. Your TV, you know, you got a game console going, you got a microwave. Well, no, microwave's 1,500 watts. Yeah. Okay, if you really want to go for the big stuff, you know, the 1500 watt, there's the Krieger KR1500, and uh, and that's a K-R-I-E-G-E-R, and that's $140. That's a heavy-duty model. Now, it's designed to be, what it does, it, it, it basically, it's a, it's a pack that screws onto the, onto the, onto the wall of your compartment there, and it's got two plugs in it, and it's got cables that direct, it's got cables that go directly connected to your battery. So this is like in, actually installed mm-hmm. in your car, and then you've got a couple of plugs there, and you've got 1500 watts. So you, you, you could have a whole kitchen operating there, and, but I'm thinking this first one, this cigarette lighter inverter for 30 bucks, is probably your best probably bet. Probably best bet. We got an email from Judy in Richmond. Dear Tech Talk, I'm thinking of purchasing a Wi-Fi camera for my house, but I'm worried that they may not be secure and that someone could be could hack into it and access the video in my house and just see what's going on. Am I being too paranoid, or are these cameras secure? Great question. Love the show, Judy in, Rich- in Richmond. Well, there are two types of Wi-Fi-enabled security cameras out there. You got the traditional IP camera, IP network cameras. And we've got the modern smart cameras like Alphabet's Nest Cam or Amazon's Cloud Cam. Now, most of the stories you see online about insecure cameras are IP cameras. These are simply security cameras that connect to the network over Wi-Fi or an, or an Ethernet connection. And people just don't set them up right. What they do, they leave them configured with the default username and password. And then people go in and they've got bots that log into these things. In fact, there's a website that has 73,000 unsecured IP cameras in 256 countries. Wow. So you can go onto that website, and you can just look at stuff all over the world if you want, you know, stuff that probably people would not like you seeing. Now, most of the webcams are just like of parking lots and all where people don't care about it, but some of the webcams are inside people's houses, and they just don't know that they're not secure. Now, <clears throat> Those do have security issues because if anybody breaks into them thing, they don't they don't have two factor authentication. Those standalone IP cameras they don't really have security updates. Very they never have security updates. So they are there there are issues with those if you're really worried about security. So the modern security cameras like Alphabet's Nest Cam or Amazon's Cloud Cam or Netgear's Allo are different than IP cams. They're designed for for the smart home devices. So instead of providing a a dumb web interface that's configured with the default username and password and you just hook it onto the the Internet, these are are basically configured to use an online account. So what you have to do is you've got to create an online account with either Amazon or Nest, and all the videos go to that online account. Nobody else can access them. They just go straight to that online account. And you configure the account to have two-factor authentication. So even if an attacker knows your password, they can't view your camera because you'll get an email with a security code. You got to put, an, or you'll get a text message with a security code. So you have to have a control of your email account or of your of your phone, and you put in that secondary security. 
account a number into the into the um, into the box there, and then you can you can log in. So that is much much more secure. So I'd say in your case, you should get one of the smart cameras that that attach to the cloud. The other nice thing is that you know all the video is stored on the cloud, so you have, you have access to it. So this is the thing. Um, here's the, here here's the, so you want to buy a smart security camera, not an IP camera. You want to get a camera from a trustworthy brand like Nest or Amazon or Netgear. There's some really cheap ones out there that that are made in China. I wouldn't really trust them. Get get it from a good reputable company. Use a strong password when you create your online account, and finally enable two-factor authentication so that you you know even if they, even if they guess your password, they can't get in. If you do all these things, you're going to be pretty secure. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you at the next show. If there's an emergency, we'll call you immediately. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. You can watch us do the program by following us on uh, Periscope. Download the Periscope app to your device and then follow us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has experienced IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with exceptional Accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with the future in cybersecurity. Learn more about Stratford's up to $15,000 IT scholarship competition. Application deadline is September 30th for those who qualify. Register today at stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with well, Tech Talk Radio. Jump the gun there, pal. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. He never jumps the gun. He Sometimes never. he totally misses his I cue know, altogether. He's, he's not smoking anymore, so I think he's improving. <laughs> Today we're going to feature Margaret Heafield Hamilton. Margaret Heafield Hamilton led the team that developed the onboard flight software for the Apollo space program, and she coined the term software engineering. Ah. Think about that. Now, Margaret Hamilton was born August 17th, 1936 in P. Paoli, Indiana. Yeah, Paoli. I think that you Paoli, think you Indiana. Yeah, you know, normally I think of Paola, but this is Paoli. Well, you're on radio, so you probably shouldn't mention anything <laughs> yeah. about Paola. Okay, Paoli, Indiana. Um, you know, it's interesting. Back when she was writing code, it was viewed that men did the hardware and women did the software. It was like software was viewed as clerical. So all in the beginning, all the women were the ones writing the code. Huh. This it's really kind of an interesting social evolution that we, that's gone on there. Mm-hmm. Margaret Hamilton, born uh, oh yeah, she's born August 17th. She graduated from Hancock High School in 1954. She received a Bachelor of Arts in Mathematics from Earlham College in 1958. Then she taught high school math and French until her husband graduated from college. After he graduated from college, they moved to Boston to study abstract mathematics at Brandeis University. Mm-hmm. In 1960, she took an interim position at MIT to develop software for predicting weather. Now, she was she was predicting the, she was running the uh, weather prediction algorithm on a couple of uh, computers, the LGP30 and the PDP1, and they were in the uh, located in the meteorology department. 
From 61 until 63, she worked at Lincoln Labs, where she wrote software to search for unfriendly aircraft. Ooh. Yeah, it must have been a defense contract. She also wrote software for the Air Force Cambridge Research Labs. Hamilton then joined the Charles Stark Draper Laboratory at MIT. She eventually became director and supervisor of software programming for Apollo and Skylab. Skylab. I haven't heard of Skylab in this decades. It's been a long time. Right? Now, they were responsible for the, for the Apollo onboard guidance software to navigate and land on the moon and its multiple variations, including Skylab. Now, she developed the building blocks for modern software engineering, which is a term that she developed, because you see, you could not have a software failure. I mean, you're up there, in, you know, you're up there in space, and you just can't have the software failure. So she developed a testing methodology that would produce very robust software. She laid the foundations for something that was called universal systems language and development before the fact. See, universal systems language and development before the fact. In other words, you develop the fix before the failure occurs through extensive testing. That was DBTF. It was formal, it was a formal systems theory to create ultra reliable software. She simulated every conceivable situation at the systems level to identify potential problems before releasing the code. Now, she also developed something called priority displays, where the software in an emergency could interrupt the astronauts, and it could display something that was very important. It was an asynchronous executive program, executive-level program that allowed the computer to drop low-priority tasks, even if they were, had been requested by an astronaut, and drop the low-priority tasks even when overloaded. So this, this whole concept of having an executive-level software that could set priorities whenever the computers are at risk of becoming overloaded. You see, they, and this was a real problem on these early space flights because they were running, you know, I mean, probably the entire processor and the Apollo had less processing capacity than our iPhone. I mean, it was, you know, back then it was a lot of power, but, but compared to what we have now, it was very minimal. So it turned out that this priority display system, whenever the system is overloaded, is extremely important. It present, it, her work prevented an abort of the landing on the moon. This is what happened. And this was because of her, and she anticipated this could be an issue. They were um, three minutes before the lunar lander reached the moon's surface. The computer was overloaded with incoming data. Too much data was coming in from all the sensors tracking where they were, and the computer was on the verge of being overloaded with incoming data. Now, due, because of its robust architecture that she designed, the computer was able to only process the high-priority jobs that were needed to be done at that moment. And you know what the job was? Land the land the spacecraft on the surface of the moon the without crashing. <laughs> and forget about all this other stuff. Forget about telemetry. Forget about all the other stuff. Just do the critical issue. So the computer you know, was almost overloaded. It was reaching its breaking point. And had she not put in this priority uh, assignment system in place, they would have had to abort the, the plane, but it successfully landed, and it just selected the high-priority tasks. In 1976, she co-founded Higher Order Software and served as CEO. In 86, she founded Hamilton's Technology in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which developed the universal systems language for software design. The universal systems language is a computer language based on preventive instead of a curative paradigm. In other words, you prevent things from happening. This was her whole idea, you know, coming out of the space area. It was, uh, USL was created for designing systems with increased reliability, higher productivity, and lower risk. Hamilton has published over 130 papers, proceedings, and reports concerned with 60 projects on six major programs that she's worked on for the U.S. government. In 86, she received the, the Ada Lovelace Award, 
from the Association of Women in Computing in 20, in 2003 received the NASA, NASA's Exceptional Space Act Award. She is one of the pioneers in software engineering, you know, laying out the whole framework for software software engineering. I mean, before her, they just it, they just said, well, it's writing code, mm-hmm. and she elevated it to an engineering level. You know, you used a word uh, in that uh, piece there that you don't hear much, asynchronous. Asynchronous. But that was something, you know, do you remember watching the, uh, you know, the Apollo uh, launches and missions on TV, and then mm-hmm. later with the uh, the space shuttle, Asynchronous orbit was something you heard all the time. Mm-hmm. So they would pass over the Earth at different times. It, was, yes. it wasn't like uh, synchronized with uh, the, the the solar. Orbit. Yes. So yeah. Uh, anyway, you, that, that sorry, that just caught my attention. So for there no you particular go. Reason. Everything, everything you want to know about Margaret Heathfield Hamilton, one of the true leaders in software engineering. I mean, she, we hold her near and dear. One of our biggest programs at Stratford is a master's degree in software engineering, and. Mm-hmm. So we're still teaching some of the things that she developed many, many years ago. It is Saturday morning, and we hope you were paying attention to what the doc was just talking about, because you can turn knowledge into edible items. Free lunch coming up here on the Pop Quiz on Tech Talk Radio, Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, and 103.9 FM HD2. Be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has experienced IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with exceptional Accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with the future in cybersecurity. Learn more about Stratford's up to $15,000 IT scholarship competition. Application deadline is September 30th for those who qualify. Register today at stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell. The security guard at the front desk, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Jim Russ. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving, and thank you for tuning in this Saturday morning to Tech Talk Radio. It's time to play the pop quiz. In Profiles in IT, we told you about Margaret Heathfield Hamilton. She led the team that developed the onboard flight software for the Apollo Space Program and for Skylab. Now, that program had one task. The question today is, tell us what that task was. If you don't know the answer to today's question, well then, Houston, we have a problem. If you do know the answer and you're the first correct caller, you win free tickets for two for fine dining at any of the Stratford University kitchens in the Washington area. But first, you must pick up the phone and give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're trying to enter geosynchronous orbit in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. And of course, the international line, always the turkey, it's 877-936-39333 or 1-800-BUTTERBALL. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, is standing by to take your calls. So, dial now. Interesting. Now, it's time for, for 
food, food science. science. Mm. And frozen a turkey. Yes. Remember last year we talked about the problem that uh, that the white meat you want it, it, it you don't want to cook it as long as it gets dry. It gets dry. And, and the get, dark meat take, takes longer. And to the cook. dark meat this takes longer over there. Well, uh, Dr. Peter Snyder, Ph.D. from the Hospitality Institute of Technology and Management, Wow, St. Paul, Minnesota, has a solution to this. Put the turkey in frozen. Hmm. See, now this is now this is really a, just an interesting idea. The FDT food code allows us. In fact, a- FDA has a cooking guideline out on this. Now there are, there's a real uh, advantage to cooking the turkey frozen. First of all, you don't have to thaw it out. Well, there's that. You get up tur- you get up uh, you get up Thanksgiving morning and say, "Oh, the turkey, I forgot to thaw out the turkey." And there's there's not time to do it. So, uh H, uh, the uh, FDA food code actually has guidelines for cooking a frozen turkey, 12 to 13 pounds. Now, the reason they say this is actually a pretty good thing to do is when you put it in frozen, the legs thaw out first and start cooking right away. But the breast, since it's on the interior, thaws out last, so it naturally cooks less time. Interesting. And so the breast meat can be juicy and the legs can be done. Good. So you're using basically physics to your advantage. Now, what I did... I got out the thermal diffusion. I've got the uh, science of cooking. I've, uh-huh. been, I, I've been putting in the, the shape of a turkey, and I've been doing these uh, thermal diffusion equation ca- calculations all week. Uh-huh. And uh, and it's been it's been quite uh, quite quite the effort. And, and and my results have agreed approximately with FDA results. So well, what they good. say is they put the turkey on a shallow pan, and for the first two to two and a half hours, the legs and thighs get heated up to approximately 100 degrees Fahrenheit, but the breast to about uh, one inch is still at the uh, soft ice point of around 25 degrees Fahrenheit. At this point, you can actually stick a monitor in, a temperature monitor into the into the turkey. At about three and a half hours, the legs and thighs will be between 150 to 160 degrees Fahrenheit, and the breast will be 40 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. At that point, you can actually remove the bag of heart, all the the bag of stuff that's in the middle, the heart, the liver, and, and the neck oh, can, can be you removed. better not forget that. I know somebody who has... At four and a half to five hours, the turkey's nicely cooked. You can check the temperature. The legs and thighs should be at around 175 to 185, and the breast will be a moist 160 to 170. Cooking turkeys to these temperatures is adequate to assure the reduction of bacteria on the surface skin, like salmonella. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason FDA said this is pretty good is that when you thaw a turkey out in the in the refrigerator, that salmonella could cross-contaminate either in your refrigerator or on the cooking surface. Right. So, so you don't have this problem. You don't have to thaw it out. And the uh, and the second reason they said it's good is that it allows you to cook the dark meat uh, a little bit longer than the light meat. So... And I'm thinking, that just suits me perfectly. I don't have to thaw the turkey. I, but, you, but you have to take the plastic bag yeah, off the turkey. That's a good you idea. You just can't throw the turkey no. in the oven. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has experienced IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with excellent Accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with the future in cybersecurity. Learn more about Stratford's up to $15,000 IT scholarship competition. Application deadline is September 30th for those who qualify. Register today at stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Now I want to talk about 
cutting the cord. That mm-hmm. means I'm going to get rid of this high-cost uh, entertainment package with my cable provider. Mm-hmm. It just, I mean, you know, you, you sign up, you think it's $40, and you go back in six months, and it's $80, right. and then it's, then it's $90. It's just totally out of control. I'd like to just cut the cord, and I would like to get a la carte whatever I want. And so I've been working on this because, you know, I'd like to find a solution where you don't have to become a uh, evil genius to work it out right. with, like, three remotes and all sorts of complicated things. Because I, well, But I, you are a genius. You're not evil, but, but I, you are a genius. But I, but, I, but I have people in my household that Who? just want to pick up one remote and push a button and have it work. That's a fair... Desire. And yes. I would say most people who are cutting the cord, the biggest complaint is some techie guy cuts the cord and has this complicated workaround, and then nobody else in the house can work the TV. So he's the only one, or she's, normally it's a he, can, the only one who can work the TV, and everybody else is totally frustrated. So I, so my premise in cutting the cord was I wanted to have a system where I could cut the cord and one remote would do everything. One remote would do everything. That was my that was my basic idea. So the first thing that I did, you've got a real issue with uh, getting over-the-air television. Mm-hmm. There is a big battle going on between the local providers of network television and the networks themselves. The networks would like to just stream the live data out to you. The local providers are saying, wait a minute here, you're cutting out our ads. And so the local providers don't necessarily want to stream their local content unless they get paid for it. And you see, all the cable companies pay the local providers a commission Mm -hmm. to stream the local content, and they don't want to give that up. And so it's very hard sometimes to get local TV. It's got to be packaged right, and that's one of the biggest issues. When I started looking at what they call over-the-top television, and so I decided it's local TV. I've got digital signals out there. Why mm-hmm. don't I just get it? Just set up an antenna and just pull it in. Right. Now the problem is, if you do that and you use your television set to detect the signal, it's a second remote to work the television, and you got another remote to work the Netflix. Remember my rule? Yes. One, one remote. One remote. So that means that in order for me to do this, I have to get over-the-air television. I have to put it into my Wi-Fi network as a stream. I have to have an application in either in either Roku or an Apple or Apple um, Apple TV that I can click on, and it brings up my over-the-air television, just like streaming content. So if I could do that, one remote does it all. Mm-hmm. So there are two devices that will take digital digital. Uh, 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 a digital uh, television signals, detect them with a receiver, convert them to Wi-Fi. They'll basically pick one channel, they'll compress it, and they'll send it out on the Wi-Fi network. And then any TV in the house can pick up that signal. So the first one was Mohu Airwave, which I talked about we briefly. Did. Yes. And the second one is Clearstream TV. Okay. Clearstream TV. So I got the Mohu Airway, super excited, and I got it all set up at home. And uh, I set up the antenna in my house. Didn't work. So the, all week I've been crawling up in the attic, putting this, putting this. I bought another antenna. I put the antenna in the attic, and I, and I detected 62 stations. But I don't really have enough power to, to enough signal to noise so that I get very choppy signals on the you know on on the stations that I want. Mm-hmm. I really need to amplify the signal. And the Mohu Airwave device will not let me use an amplified antenna. So I have to get a bigger antenna and have it and I can't amplify it and it's kind of a pain in the neck. So I'm actually I, I, I'm actually considering I'm, I'm still experimenting with it. I may get a bigger antenna. I may get a bigger antenna and put it outside on the roof and you know to get more reception. Neighbors Just, will love that. Yeah, oh yeah. It'll be but uh you know it would be yeah, they would love that I think. <laughs> but I'm still working on the on Rick's the attic up on deal. the roof again. 
Well, I, I, well, you, would, uh, you would you would subcontract that well, project out I, probably. No, I've I've been looking I've been looking at at the roof installation. I would put I would connect it to one of the chimneys, uh, and so. But you would have somebody do it for you. Well, I've, I'm considering doing it myself, oh, but the Lord. but but the so but, know, but, but, each... here, but here was the issue: the person in my household that that wants to have one remote does not believe that I should be on the roof putting up the antenna. I would agree with that person. So, You're too valuable to go, go sliding off the roof. So there is a chance that I would punt on this and have somebody else I do it. I think it's probably a good idea. Now, so, just saying. So I'm still, and I'm, and I'm even thinking maybe they, maybe I could use an amplifier on that Mohu airwave converter, and I, and I just may try it. But the second one is Clearstream TV, and and that actually came out before Mohu airwave. Clearstream TV. It uh, it basically is a it, it converts uh, a, you know a um, you know a TV signal into Wi-Fi. Now it, there's only one tuner in it. In each one of the only one tuner, so you only get one station. So it's really only good for one one station. And um, Clearstream TV will take any kind of input, even if it's an amplified antenna. So I'm gonna I'm gonna still try to do the the attic deal, but I'm gonna get one of these big high gain antennas. Mm-hmm. But uh, but not too high again. Um, they call it multi-directional. It's not omnidirectional, which means the beam for the 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 beam width for um, uh, for the VHS is about 35 degrees. So it's about a 35 degree beam. So that means I could pick up all the Washington D.C. channels. I may even be able to pick up Baltimore, although it's it, it would be a stretch. Yeah, it'd be a stretch. It'd be a stretch. So I'm, I may get an antenna like that, which is like a hundred dollars. And then I would, uh, and that has an amplifier, and I would use a clear screen TV over the internet. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, the, the Mohu Airwave, even though I didn't haven't got TV reception yet, the software is fantastic. As soon as I scan and it finds these 62 channels, now I can get maybe 10 of those channels, like I can get. I can get Red Bull TV. <laughs> Red Bull? T- I didn't even know. You mean the drink Red yeah, Bull? Yeah, I can get, wow. I can get Red Bull TV. I can get. I can get uh, technology. Uh, no, this week in technology, Twit. I can get Twit Radio. I can get. Listen, uh, uh, you know, so I can get all the stations that I don't want. But I can't. Well, that's get, important that you get all the stations that you I, don't but, want. But I cannot get Channel Four, Channel Seven, or Channel Nine. This or, would or, or Fox. Five. Or mm-hmm. five. I, I can't get any of those channels, but I'll tell you, Red Bull reception is just perfect. I'm telling you, that's great. <laughs> so, so the thing is, um, but the what it does as soon as it locates the uh, the 64 channels. Once it once you you know you locate the antenna and then you and then you have the device. Yeah, I go through the software interface, which is in my Apple TV, and I and I scan for channels, and then. It will scan all the channels, and then as soon as it finishes scanning, it immediately generates a directory. And I've got a directory just like it was on cable. So once I've got this thing working, it's just going to be like a cable display for mm-hmm. live TV. And it'll be with an Apple TV. Now, the, the problem with Mohu, they only have an Apple TV app. They're getting ready to make a Roku app. Clearstream TV has both an Apple app as well as a Roku app. So that's so uh, that's quite good so this is still uh, uh unfinished business but i'm working on it i'm working on it diligently mm-hmm. to figure it out because i want to get over the air television because that is do. the hardest thing to get now once you've got the over the air television you've you've also got what they call over the top providers these are providers that that provide content over the top of your of your internet access point and there are five providers out there the first one that that actually that set that really defined the category was Sling TV. They were the first ones out, and now since Sling TV has been out, we now have Hulu, we've got PlayStation View, we've got Direct TV now, and then we've got uh, we have the um, uh, YouTube TV, which I don't know what happened. I deleted it from here somehow. It's not on it's the list here. YouTube? Yeah, it is. We're next page. Oh, the next page! Because this is a lengthy discussion. Oh, yeah, the next page. Oh, See? Goodness. It's a good thing I'm here. It, uh, You'd be floundering it, it about. It is fantastic. Yeah. Right. So, mm-hmm. so what I've done is uh, is I've been using all of these uh, all of these services, and it turns really? and it, yeah. So I've, I you, I can get trial subscriptions to them all for about seven days free. 
Once the seven days is up, you've you've got to pay your thirty five dollars a month or forty dollars. Well, this is great. So so if so, I've got because I really wanted to see what they were what they were like. So Sling TV is like was one of the beginning. It's it 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 doesn't have a good sports distribution. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it's. I think the other services have really outmaneuvered it. You can get the lowest you know the lowest tier for for twenty dollars a month. And then, then you can get the next tier, or the next tier is $25 a month, or you can put the two tiers together and get $45 a month. Uh, it does have a, it does have a, uh, a, a DVR, but there, you, you cannot, you can't have personas in it. So like if four users of Sling TV, their DVR, they'll all be lumped together, all the DVRs will be together, so you don't have individual users. Plus, if you look at the at, at their mix of shows, it's not really that good, and I don't really like the interface. Okay. Then we have Hulu. Hulu came out, and this and these basically uh, media companies came together. They they came out, and the Hulu is kind of an it's it's curated content, and they've got and they they'll pick stuff for you. And you can get Hulu limited commercials for free if you don't want live TV. I have that, and yeah. it's awful. Yeah, and so that interface is—it's terrible. Yeah, and so if you get Hulu Live, you pay an additional thirty-two dollars a month, and all you get is the local TVs, local TV stations. Really? But the but the the interesting thing is, you get Fox. You get uh, CBS, and you get. Uh, but if you get CBS because of the uh, of, of the competition, ABC doesn't want to be on it. So you can either at ABC or CBS. So you get, and you and then you can get CNN and Fox News. So you can get all the news channels. And so this whole thing about this. So you're paying a lot of money for these live. Well, yeah, channels. that's. I was going to say, and as I've explained to you, I, pay, I if I were to get rid of cable, I would still pay ninety nine bucks a month to get internet. It's 155. No, whole... no, no, no. But I think you can get better price on internet. Ah, uh, yeah, you told me. Ah, uh, you can, you can get a better. Okay. You can get internet for 50 bucks. Okay. But you've got to be really hard. I got to tell them I'm hard going nosed. away. You got you got to yes. say you're going away. Okay. All right. So Hulu. Now, what Hulu is? It's it's really not. It's really it's really set up for. Um, Hulu is really set up for curated content. So they've got a lot of curated content. They they make your choices for you. So if you're kind of a casual user, you can go into that thing. They're kind of a stylistic layout. It takes a little bit hard to get used to. I don't really like it that much. Now you're 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 when you when you pay your thirty five or forty dollars a month, you only get two simultaneous streams. Mm-hmm. So that means you get, you can have two TVs on in the house. Suppose you've got six six people six TVs in the house. You could pay another fifteen dollars to get unlimited streams. But you see, what happens is that this is the secret. <laughs> Neighbors share the same account. Ah. Oh. So you get unlimited streams, and you get three of your neighbors. It costs a third. Well, that's crazy. You see, because it's no longer tied to a particular location. So. Uh, so that's Hulu TV, which is okay. It doesn't make any sense. But they're they're all that way. It makes okay. They are, whatever. They are it, all that way. Do you think way. they do this knowing that people are doing this to get more penetration? They they really. Uh, I don't think they want people to do it. I don't think it's a problem yet. But why are they doing this? I don't think it's a problem because they uh, they they're just they're just not watching it now. I mean, people will sign up for HBO now and share it. HBO now is like fifteen dollars a month, but you can. But and apparently HBO doesn't care if there are multiple people looking at it. So, so you and I can figure out that this is a bad idea, like in thirty seconds. So this, and they, but this is, know. but this is over the top and over the top, uh, uh, over the top uh, television, and they and they 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 basically allow it. Now, PlayStation View is interesting. I wouldn't even consider this as an over-the-top, because yeah, I don't, I don't have a PlayStation. Right, neither do I. But well, you, you don't need one, do you? No, they should have just called it View. It's got nothing to do... I mean, it, it's integrated with PlayStation if you want, but this PlayStation View is a very polished service, and their directory is really easy to use. Hmm. It's, if you want to see your local sports teams, it, you know, you, you add $5, it's around $45 a month. And, um, and they've got... Pretty good live TV. They've got Fox and Comcast regional sports. It's actually a pretty good mix. 
it's uh, it's compatible with almost all the devices, this PlayStation View. And and so I've been working with all of these for the whole week, and I have my, my tester, who the, the one remote right, tester. Right, the one remote tester. The one remote tester came back and said, this PlayStation View is the one that she likes to use. Wow. It's the easiest one to use, and it has gotten great reviews. So that's around $45 a month. Then you've got DirecTV. And, of course, you know, AT&T bought DirecTV, and then DirecTV now takes their content and streams it over the top. So you don't need a satellite dish. So it's DirecTV now. Crazy. And uh, But here's the thing with DirecTV now. I, I don't really like the interface. They have a lot of content because this is one of the biggest cable pro- providers. So they've right. got all the relationships built up. So they have a lot of content, but it's not a very good interface. But if you are an AT&T cell phone user... You get a $25 discount, which means you get it for $10. That's not bad. Which means you get it for $10. And so it's, and so you could, so you could get, uh, if you get, if you get, um, and you know, it's around $35 or so, you get $25 off. So for $10, you get it. So I'm thinking if you're an AT&T guy, it's not bad. The other thing is, HBO is only $5 a month with this. That's crazy. So it's another add-on. So you pay $15 a month and get HBO. We're running out of time. YouTube TV. Of, yeah, now YouTube TV, this is the this is the last one. This is Google's entering the thing. YouTube TV, it, they only have uh, uh you know, they only have an application for your iPhone or your iPad or your or your Android phone. They don't have anything for uh, Apple TV or for Roku, but I understand they're coming out with something on Roku. It turns out YouTube TV is pretty good for live TV. They've got a reasonably good sports network, but not much content. But YouTube TV includes six simultaneous views for $35 a month. Mm -hmm. In addition... They've got a fantastic DVR. They they have unlimited DVR, but whatever you store is only there for for nine months. So I so I was using YouTube View. For instance, I wanted to record the Redskin game, so I just clicked. I said record it. I don't have to even say when it is. I said record the Redskin game. Record record the uh, the um, World Series, and it just recorded it. I didn't have to. It is the easiest to use DVR. It's crazy, but the thing that I found is it doesn't have Turner stations. Yeah, that's and right. That's a problem for some people. It does. It doesn't have Turner stations, but you may be able to buy Turner stations separately because okay. all all these companies are beginning to sell stuff separately. So what is happening? The great cable monopoly is dying away, mm-hmm. and the individual content providers are now selling separately. And within these five over-the-top things, are now getting skinny bundles that are coming together. And if you look at all the price ranges on these over the top, you got pretty good service for around twenty forty five dollars. I think this competition is going to drive the cable companies to drop their price to around forty five dollars to keep from losing their customers. So yeah. I think what we're looking at here is a change in the whole cable area. Very interesting. Now I'm going to have to finish this story next week because yes. we're going to talk about how we get all of the, the cable sticks going. Mm-hmm. So what I've done is I'm probably going to go with the PlayStation View. Okay. I like this Roku uh, interface. I like that. And I also like Apple TV. So now I'm evaluating. I should say my, my tester is evaluating which remote control she tester. likes to do. Because honestly, if it's if the TV's all about me... It's useless. Yeah, I can, I have to. I can't be there when it's being run. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to report back on this, and I'll talk about different ways to get the information into the TV. But it's an interesting story, and hopefully, I'll get my over-the-air TV going soon. Yes. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you right as soon as we can. And we also want you to find out about our programs. So go to stratford.edu, check out the programs. And tell them that you heard about them on Tech Talk Radio. Enjoy the rest of your Thanksgiving weekend, and tune in next Saturday for more Tech Talk here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.
To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.